0: Yeah, this endless aisle and the mixed cart, you know, the mixed cart has proven, there's been a number of studies proven that when a customer is allowed to buy more things in one spot as opposed to bouncing around, they actually end up buying more as opposed to just walking away and going someplace else where they can get it all. And so I'm just curious about the processes they put in place, the structures to make sure that it's...
1: Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing.
2: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. Most people might not even pay attention to the location in the digital world. We can hire workers from any country remotely. We can trade with most countries easily. But when it comes to e-commerce, and ERP systems, location is still a huge factor. The solution from North America may not work well in Europe. The solution from Latin America might not work well in North America. There are challenges such as payment providers or taxation being different, but even if a platform may support these integrations, the solution may still feel alienated due to the localization issues, whether we talk about product or documentation. One such platform is VTEX, which is highly advanced in its headless capabilities, but it still carries its Latin American roots, which might be a barrier for North American countries. Even if the platform may be technically advanced. So which companies would most benefit from the VTEX platform? In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss VTech's platform and its capabilities. We discussed their strengths and weaknesses and where they might fit in the e-commerce architecture. Finally, we discussed their geographic limitations for global customers, React-based development standards and their unique strengths with the franchise based business models with that let's get to the conversation hello everyone welcome to today's show and if you are joining for the first time this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every wednesday at 5 30 pm eastern we review one vendor or the solution related to e-commerce and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom for today we have a very exciting vendor And I think we are going to have a little debate about their their pronunciation. My understanding of this is going to be VTACs. That's how I'm going to do it. (laughs) But maybe there's a different pronunciation for that. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP e-commerce and digital transformation consulting firm. We help our clients with anything and everything digital transformation. On that note, I am going to move to Phil
3: for his intro. Hi, everybody. Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. We help executive leadership teams align their digital transformation investments with their core business and get positive and accelerating business outcomes. And looking forward to tonight's show, Sam. Thanks.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Phil. Robert, can I ask you to introduce yourself next?
0: Sure, my name is Robert Brown, principal of Robert Brown E-Commerce Consultancy. Um, I spent 20 years in Fortune 50 E-Commerce and now I help small to medium-sized companies uh, grow their E-Commerce business.
2: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Robert. And if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, Make sure you guys are going to send your comments and questions. Our panelists are going to review those and we try our best to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, we will make sure that you are going to receive your answers. So, guys, I am going to start the briefing. And obviously, uh, I would love to hear your uh, you know, commentary based on uh, whatever research you guys may have done or may have had experience with this particular solution. So, my perception of the solution is going to be, obviously, these guys are equally exciting uh, as uh, your other headless vendor that we have reviewed recently. For example, let's say if we talk about Spryker or the commerce tools, they are equally liked or the darling of either the headless space or the Wall Street. They have received, my understanding was that they had received just $140 million, but I think Phil is going to have some more. Uh, you know colors there that he may be able to add overall from the funding perspective. Phil, do you want to add that?
3: Right sure, away. happy to do it. So these guys had several funding rounds. The one Sam will highlight in a second was 140 million with SoftBank was who's in this space a lot investing. Then they had another round of two hundred plus million dollars of, of investment. And then they went public about a year ago and their IPO was very successful. It came in it came in well above what they expected. They priced it at $19, and they were run at at, uh, at $30 relatively quick. That valued them as a market cap of almost $5 billion. But since that time, they've come down to earth. They're they're down to three bucks. Um, their their claim to fame is certainly volume. It's they don't make money, which a lot of these startups don't but they do have a lot of transactions going across their site. They're almost 3 billion uh, GMV per quarter based on the last quarter. So so on one hand, very exciting investment, and they drew a lot of money. On the other hand, they kind of came back down to earth here, Sam, but they still are growing, and both their GMV as well as their margins are improving quarter over quarter, so still looking pretty healthy.
2: Okay, amazing commentary there, and Phil. I am not too sure if the the uh, the dollar amount that you are mentioning about coming them uh, to Earth, right? I don't know if that is part of the tax sell off that we are experiencing recently. I don't know when they came down in terms of value, but you know, most of these startups are coming down right now. I mean, Facebook is down what seventy percent. So I yeah. So I don't know if it correlates with that. Robert, do you have anything to add there?
0: Yeah, so if you take a look at a bunch of the other tech darlings, you know they they all follow the same kind of curve. So if you take a look at, say, HubSpot, yep. HubSpot was up at like six fifty and now down at like three thirty. So yep. it, it's been hit pretty hard. Um, so I think it, that's just the entire market. Yeah, yeah. and the, the people that
3: matters to are the people who paid the twenty five bucks. I'm not saying it's a it's poorly valued, and I think it, it's it's a heck of a good looking product, and yeah. and and still a good looking stock. Especially at three bucks, it's probably a really good looking stock. Not that that's advice. I never give advice.
2: Yeah, and when companies like Shopify is going to be down, then I am always going to have a doubt that okay, this is the problem with the investors, not with really the, the tools and the platforms. Uh, we'll come back, guys. I mean, this is the this is, these are the the cycles of the market. That we all experience. Okay, so let's focus on the the value of uh, obviously headless. So headless is no doubt ha- uh, hot. There's no question about that overall, and that's the reason why it is receiving so much momentum overall in the development community as well as uh, in the investment community. When we look at the my perception of their positioning, the way I read the documentation, obviously number one. So Robert, we have been reviewing a lot of PHP uh, platforms so far. And this is probably going to be the first one, which is pure React, okay? So this is going to be a huge win for the React community or the JavaScript community because really it is designed from ground up on React. Um, You don't really have as much PHP and which is probably going to be a direction for a lot of uh, different headless platforms. We already know that companies like Salesforce, they are investing a lot in the React ecosystem. Um, You talk about uh, Shopify. Most of the companies that we have, especially the bigger players, they are all investing in React a lot. So that is a big win overall for the ecosystem. Now, from the architecture and capabilities perspective, guys, so I was doing a lot of research about them in terms of, you know, how they are going to be different, let's say, from Commerce Tools or Spryker in terms of the market positioning. And one of the things that I was looking at when I look at Spryker, Spryker was very deep into the marketplace business model b2b business model these guys have the marketplace component as well obviously they claim that they have b2c b2b the marketplace component is not going to be as heavy overall at least in my mind from the b2b perspective i did not notice as deep b2b functionality as part of their platform even though they are trying to claim that they can do both B2C, B2B, but the functionality is not really as rich. The overall marketplace model that they have, it seems that it is really designed from those franchise business model perspective. And that is probably the reason why they have very B2C-centric logos. For example, Walmart. And again, I want to be extremely clear here. My understanding of their market penetration is going to be, they probably have Walmart Latin America, I don't think they have Walmart North America and the other logos as well. They are primarily captured in the Latin American market because it started, and my understanding of their origin is going to be that they started in Brazil, and that's why they have a lot of Portuguese references in their documentation. And that matters a lot, honestly speaking, based on my experience. When you look at e-commerce products, ERP products, a lot of people might think that, you know what, it doesn't matter where the product is really built upon. But when you look at the payment providers, the way your payment is being uh, going to be processed, the kind of integration in the ecosystem you are going to have as part of the product, okay, It's it matters a lot in case of your ERP. And it matters a lot in the case of your e-commerce as well. So geography is a big deal, even though it is going to be a technical product. Any developer can implement virtually, whether they are in Africa or in the Philippines, but What really matters is going to be whether you have the right integration from the payment perspective, from the logistics perspective, as well as the support for the localization and the right terminology that your people are going to be speaking in the specific country. So, again, the geography and the localization matters a lot for the e-commerce platforms as well. So, again, my assessment of this platform is going to be the way Spryker is going to be gold in Europe. This is going to be gold in Latin America. OK, it might not be as, as good platform, I would say, in North America, because you will still struggle overall in understanding the, the platform. The APIs are going to have a lot of different Portuguese references. I'm pretty sure they are trying to improvise that. But right now, it does feel that it still has uh, very Latin American roots uh, in their product. The other thing that I noticed is uh, overall from the franchise business model, I think they are really strong with that. And this is one of the product that I have seen. I have not seen this kind of functionality anywhere else. When you talk about, you know, picking things from the store, when you might be ordering on your e-commerce, it has very, very, very deep functionality overall, the way your white labeling is going to be of the product, the way you are going to be working with your franchises. And that's why you if you are going to have a lot of different retail locations, especially with your channel partners, this is going to work really well in my understanding. That's, that's my understanding so far. So I'll pause there. I'll take some commentary there before we move to some of these slides.
3: Well, I just want to echo that last part that that is that where they're strong, like you says, both in the franchising, the white labeling of and setting up the stores aimed at the B2C model, you just don't find a lot of B2B when you read about them. They say it, but you don't see it. When you really look at their case studies, who they are, who their customers are, even the way they're talked about in in valuation uh, articles and things like that, it's – their, their focus is the B2C space and storefronts and omni-channel type delivery systems. Robert?
0: Yeah, I, I like their you know the concept of, of franchise modeling, the white label modeling. Um, there are a number of different industries here in the US that utilize that. The only difference that I'm seeing here, and I because I haven't been able to play with it, obviously, with, with their tool, is very often here the, the local store is allowed to control the catalog from the mothership based on their local market needs. And from what I read with VTEX, it's an all or none kind of deal. I'm not sure about
3: that one. I think there's something in one of your slides that implies that that local franchise does have, that there is the ability to control which products make it. If that's if that's the component you're talking about.
0: And I, I may have misread it. What I read was they get the catalog, they can control the pricing, they can control the, the delivery methodology, but it, it the way I read it was they get the whole
2: catalog. Got it. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with Robert. I think Robert's assessment is right. So I don't know if from the platform perspective, they are going to have flexibility. But from my experience, when I look at the franchise model and Phil and Robert, obviously, you guys have far more experience in this space. So my understanding is going to be, let's say, if I am working with McDonald's, right? So McDonald typically controls the recipe and the catalog. I'm not, as the franchise owner, I'm not allowed to change that so that could be the reason why they are trying to do that there might be some uh, chains they might allow you to change the product but if you look at the bigger ones they really don't want you to produce your own products <laughs> they they like to control that
0: yeah it and i I'm, i certainly wasn't suggesting you you control your own products but you could it would be nice to be able to control the product mix based on you know the the local need So let's let's say, um, because when you look at many of the retailers here, the product mix that they have in a store in, say, Mall of America would be a lot different than you had in, say, Woodbridge Mall in New Jersey.
2: I completely agree. I think there is a space for both. So the platform should be supporting both. So we are going to review that. I don't know if they are supporting or not, but from the platform perspective, I don't see why they should limit that. All right, guys. So some more commentary here overall from their positioning perspective. So here they are saying the similar comment that I already mentioned that they started in Latin America, helping companies like Walmart expand their business to new markets. And that's where I think, you know, they probably were penetrating in Latin America. And that that's where they were probably looking for a solution uh, that was based in that country. and And so that's a great fit right there if they utilize this platform for that with an end-to-end e-commerce service covering things like order and inventory management, front-end customer experience. So I'm not too sure about order and inventory management could be all over the place because you could imply that, you know, that is happening inside your warehouse management system or in the ERP system. But here we are talking about the, the commerce aspect of the order and inventory management, even though they have far deeper functionality overall in terms of the way the collaboration is going to happen in your logistics network and in your channels because you need to do a lot more, obviously, in the e-commerce platform, if you are trying to create that omni-channel experience across your warehouses, across your uh, storefronts. So it's far more complicated architecture than in some of the other industries. But this is going to be really the B2C side of the things, where in case of B2C, you require that architecture. But let's say if you have b2b as part of their business model then it's probably going to be a different architecture that you are going to be operating on but here the order and inventory management is probably going to be the commerce aspect the b2c aspect uh, from the consumer's perspective then they are saying front-end uh, customer experience and customer service has raised uh okay 140 million dollar in funding 140 million dollar in funding we have already covered that that they have received far more and then they are saying vtex customers include a lot bigger logos i would say yeah and i think phil already covered that this is what they are doing overall in terms of the merchandise value now some of the things that i noticed overall from the architecture perspective are their architecture is far cleaner guys the way i like to look at the architecture to be honest this is what i could not see let's say if i'm reviewing the commerce tools or the striker they have a cms but the cms is not as built as i would like to see When you are combining both of the experiences, your front end, as well as the programming experience, the programmer experience. So in their case, I mean, these guys seem to have done a really good job of providing the CMS as well as the programmable capabilities that developers can utilize in the back end as well. So here, this is a very well built CMS and it's probably going to have similar feel as you are going to have when you are going to be using something like WordPress. They have... Things such as trade policies, the sales policies, and that is driving a lot of different things, to be honest. That is very new for me. I have not seen that in any other platforms, which is a very interesting piece of functionality. They have a lot of different integrations. Their integrations are really humongous overall from the ecosystem perspective, the way you would probably find in the case of Shopify. But my understanding is going to be you might run into challenges if you are trying to uh, implement this in other countries. Obviously, Latin America, you are going to find a lot of options, but I am not too sure about the other geographies. So do your research in terms of what integration support they have from the payment perspective, also from the 3PL perspective. So this is how their apps are, and this is a very similar experience that you are going to get. Let's say in the case of Shopify, you can install more apps and the apps are going to be very react embeddable uh components that you can easily install so it's not going to be in my mind it, i like this ar- architecture to be honest i mean you are probably not going to get uh, as much conflict i don't know robert if you have any sort of comment there i'd love to uh, take some comments but in my mind when i look at the react architecture it's slightly cleaner overall and maybe the reason for that is because we the react community has seen the architecture in the other communities and they probably have improvised how the composable community should be operating. And and probably that's the reason why this architecture might be cleaner. Maybe you have some commentary there. No, it's,
0: it's, I think what they did is they, they thought about it ahead of time. Okay. You know, you, you have a, a lot of SaaS that bolts stuff on based on current clientele. And when you have a really solid product manager, who thinks about the the product roadmap and what they're trying to achieve, they make sure that they continually work towards that that vanishing point as opposed to taking left turns at Albuquerque. And I think that's what they've achieved here. They realized, you know, what I've noticed from uh, Latin America is they're very visually oriented. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they have delivered that in spades. And I think, you know, they also realize that they have to have usability and they, they continue to build off of that
2: okay amazing insights there
0: i'll i'll also add to that they they've got
3: 1700 employees they've got a really robust investment in r and d yep. and if you look at their team they they've got they've got executives on development they got executives in engineering positions you know a lot of these up and coming that's this is an established company a lot of these up and coming platforms they don't have
2: that breadth of talent to deliver on this even if they want to completely agree guys so guys uh, overall from the cms perspective the way that cms is architected you have far more layers here in terms of what you might be able to do on the cms front and those layers are extremely meaningful when you are dealing with a very complex data model or the transactions in a lot of different business models so here obviously this is going to be applicable In the case of your B2C, but even the B2C architecture is very complex. When you look at all of those transactions, when you go from B2B to B2C, and then, you know, working with these franchises, then you are going to have white label versus non-white label. So those interrelationships of the data points, it gets very, very, very complex. And that's where you need that layer in your data model to be able to support all of those business models. So this is where, I guess, you know, their CMS is very deep. That's what I could feel in terms of their, their depth of functionality that they are able to provide on CMS and they are not completely throwing the ball to your to your back end developers that they are going to be doing the complex stuff. I'll give you a pretty screen and that's it. you know, you can create a couple of pages and after that, everything else is going to be taken care of by developers. In this particular case, it's going to have both experience in balance. So this is the view of their, and again, the way the components are structured on the screens and the controls that you have on the right side. It's very, very friendly. Overall, It, I mean, in my mind, if I look at this, this is very similar to how Figma works. And any designer can actually use Figma. And Phil, if you are not familiar with Figma, this is going to be a UX tool where you can literally draw anything that you like and then you can, that can spread the React code. So that's very powerful for the designers who don't have as much development experience. So they are actually trying to provide the similar experience. And I don't know, again, if it is because of the, the React technology that they are able to do it, because the way React is developed, it's very modularized. It's very component centric. And that could be the reason why they are able to do uh, all of this, that is probably not possible with the other platforms or the programming languages so you have even in these in the case of storefront so in the other platforms i think we were struggling to understand how the storefronts are going to work let's say if you might have marketplaces where you might have multiple channel partners they might have their own storefronts and then you are sort of, sort of controlling the catalog when you are working with them and then you might have your own storefronts as well okay so you are going to have multiple layers of storefronts that you are going to have so we could not see how that is going to be managed inside the other platform In this particular case, you can create these stores when you are going to have all of those hierarchies. So, you know, that is probably, I don't know if that is going to reside in one database, but it seems very powerful that you can manage all of that using one admin console, which is a very powerful feature in my mind. And this is very similar to how Oracle Enterprise Commerce would do it, to be honest. So if you are able to get those enterprise capabilities, and that is, that could be the reason why these enterprise companies are going after these platforms that, okay, they are easy to develop, but they are also getting that enterprise capabilities um, to be able to enable all of those enterprise workflows that you would need in terms of the control from the governance process perspective, as well as you are getting the flexibility of the technology. Now, when we look at the integration, integration is really slick, to be honest. Okay? So it is going to be very similar to how Shopify is going to work. So the only thing, if it is going to be pre-integrated, the trick is going to be pre-integrated. If it is already integrated the only thing you are doing is you are really entering your credentials and that's it you are done and your integration is going to be done now obviously you need to validate the data flows that you are going to require is going to be sufficient for your architecture the way you are building the architecture if you are going to have multiple systems obviously you need to figure out your source of authority otherwise you are probably going to get a lot of conflicts in terms of okay who's going to be doing what in the system if you are going to use only this system then it's a different case but most companies are probably going to use multiple systems so you still have to figure out your architecture how the overall architecture is going to work in your business in your case but you know i like the integration a lot especially if you're looking for the platform-based integration in this particular case you are going to be connecting with all of your channels and that is probably going to be pre baked so this is the the payment gateway APIs and again here you know the way the documentation is the only thing you really need to do is you need to declare your dependency in your react component and then declare wherever you are trying to uh you know put that code so it's really easy guys and the documentation is done really well overall so it does not it's not going to require as much development effort as it is going to be uh as you might have to invest with the other platform if let's say you are doing this integration Uh, you know, from scratch in this particular case is all done by them. But again, the payment gateway has to be supported by them. If they are supporting, then they are going to provide the documentation. Any developer can pick it up and and probably integrate this. But let's say if you are going to be doing from scratch, then obviously that's going to be far thicker integration that you have to figure out yourself. And the North American geography, again, you need to have those integrations supported. I don't know if all of the payment providers are going to be supported. Phil, I think they are supporting WorldPay. That's what I saw in the documentation. So WorldPay is great okay, to process your worldwide payments, but I don't know how many companies are going to be fine with their rates. So you always want to have many different options for your consumers. They might say that, you know what, I'm integrated with WorldPay and I can process the payments anywhere. But that's not typically how the commerce experience is going to work because consumers are going to dictate, OK, which payment they are going to be using. It could be credit cards, uh, PayPal or whatever they want to use. They all they want to use anything and everything. And obviously, you don't want to miss those opportunities just because you cannot support that uh, payment gateway.
3: Yeah. And it's, it's a good point. You got to have options there because it's just a cost. Yeah. You know, there's there's there's, you know, all of them are basically doing the same thing. But I do agree with what you said, based on some of the other platforms that we've already looked at and some of the other ones that, you know, I've I've become a little familiar with along the way. This is really slick. I mean, they've done a nice job. It looks it looks very, very manageable, very doable. You know, it's organized slick.
0: So I would assume that, you know, once once you reach the level of enterprise that, you know, the companies that are using here that. You know, they're probably also going to be using their own banks, the local bank. So, you know, I know that Chase and Bank of America have their own gateways and larger companies just integrate directly with them. You know, which Chase option you use? Well, that depends on your level of company. Um, So I think that that's probably one of the options these these companies are using as well. It's a great point. Yeah, it's a great point.
2: I completely agree. And I I think that's where you are probably going to be requiring a little bit of custom integration as well. So just because these guys are providing, you know, they are saying that, you know, what payment gateway is done, that's probably not going to be sufficient. So great point, Robert. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So this is very, very, very slick, guys. Okay. I absolutely love this. And this is the live shopping experience. Okay. Now, this is all pre-baked as part of the platform. And this is a big deal guys so let's say if you are trying to promote your products during the live show you are going to get everything and the price is very friendly as well if i had a very consumer friendly product i will invest a lot of money on this to be honest so this is really slick that they are able to provide as part of the platform i have not seen this experience in any other platforms that we have reviewed so far
3: so i did have a question on this the only difference between light standard pro is is the volume? How how many uh, minutes of HD streams you can you can run across, and then it's a monthly fee. So I'm assuming that's monthly. I'm not sure, but I don't have a sense for if that's if those are big numbers, small numbers, or medium numbers. So is a thousand minutes uh, is that a big number? I, I you know is 200 minutes a small number? I just didn't have a reference point on that. Maybe
2: you guys know. This. <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll make a little comment there, okay? So the best way to think about this one is going to be, let's say, if you are doing or doing promotion in your local media channel on a TV, okay, you literally get like 20-second spot. How much do you pay? Okay, so that's how they are thinking about pricing. Okay, I'm giving you an hour. Okay, sell whatever you can. (laughs) And this is what I'm I'm going to charge you. Robert. Makes sense so if you think about
0: the, the the streams and given the markets that they're selling in then it's probably multiple streams multiple channels simultaneously and these are small numbers honestly for the the size companies that um are using this 290 you know 299 ninety nine, ninety nine. 99 that's that's a drop but you know, they they would probably keep upgrading. So if you think about the languages, you know, so they're gonna go for Portuguese, they're gonna go for Spanish, they're gonna go for European Spanish versus South American Spanish, because there there are some nuances there. Um, and then, you know, maybe running in each country. So, you know, they could they could be running 10 streams simultaneously. If you look at um some of the social media platforms, you know, they like um TikTok, they give you if you're an enterprise level account, they give you like 10 minutes. Preach a little video, so you can burn that very quickly. But if you're making money, who cares?
2: Yeah, it's just really interesting. I agree, guys, and I love the TikTok example. Thank you so much, Robert, for that. All right, guys. So now this is where things get really tricky. So so far, you know, whatever we have reviewed looks really good. Okay, Uh, then you look under the hood, and then you are going to find a lot of Portuguese references in the documentation. And sometimes the terms that they are going to be using may be inconvenient for a lot of developers because they might not understand or they might just, you know, map in a different field because they just didn't understand what you meant there. So this is what I called the uh, call the localization experience or the developer experience. Even for developers, it matters a lot, to be honest. Okay, so when you uh, your platform is going to be built right here in North America or in the UK, uh, you know, then it's going to be a, a very different experience. But let's say if you are a business in in South America, Latin America, and you are looking at a platform, then you probably need to be looking at something that is going to be friendly to you. So again, if you are in the Latin American geography, or if you are a subsidiary of North American company in that geography, then this could be a great fit because you will be able to relate with the platform because the terms that you are going to use, the language that you are going to use, even to name your variables, (laughs) okay, even that matters a lot. So here we can see very clearly, I, I could not read, to be honest, but in the documentation, they still have a lot of reference. Uh, you need to keep researching in the documentation. So 80% is still English, but you know somewhere you are going to find a lot of different Portuguese uh, references. Yeah, and by the way, we are going to review this comment from the user as well. And some of the people who were um uh, i I believe they were Spanish speaking, but for them as well, it was slightly uncomfortable because they just could not relate to it so it's not just the english speaking countries uh it's for the other languages as well. The experience could be uncomfortable so again, uh, you know if you're in the Latin American market, there's a great great platform, but for North American market, I'm not too sure now this is the the these are the widgets uh Phil so let's say if you are trying to build a site they are trying to provide you composable widgets so the only thing you need to do is you need to declare the dependency of your widget so it's going to be just one line of dependency and then you have a code that you can paste in a file wherever let's say if you are trying to uh, you know and this is the example for example let's say if you are trying to build some sort of login screen where you are going to have five options for login the only thing you need to do is you need to uh, you know, paste a JSON file, and you are going to get all of that functionality because that is pre-baked. In the traditional world, let's say if you are looking at Shopify, BigCommerce, then how you would develop this as you are going to have a theme, and you are customizing a theme. Okay, in in theme you are doing this visually. In this particular case, the only difference is you are doing it in the code, but overall the functionality is already built and tested. Okay, those two are very different things. So you are not trying to build something like okay product customizer okay. okay now product customizer is already built so this is what is the power of the composable architecture where you are going to get all of these widgets and my understanding of this business model is going to be guys okay these are probably going to be a paid components that developers are going to be selling and that's fair game in my mind that's how word space ecosystem work you know whenever you wanted to buy a plugin or the widget you simply bought it from a developer and that said you don't have to worry about programming or coding and this is what expedites the development because you can customize the experience as you like you can tear off every single component on your web page wherever you are and you can drive the the conversion depending upon um, you know how the, the the customer journey is and you don't have to stick to your shopify rigidness or the big commerce rigidness you know your experience is going to be far more fluid uh, overall from the experience perspective and that's the power that i see in the case of your headless and if you do headless right the way these guys have done the only problem i have with these guys is going to be their portuguese reference and you know i don't know if this is going to be uh, comfortable for north america but if you have the similar platform for north america this is pure gold okay so this is the the franchise business model and i think we are going to have a little debate there overall in terms of different business models and what uh, companies might need. So for the most part, if I look at their architecture, the way they have positioned this is, hey, if I have the main account and then I may have the franchise account as part of your franchise account, you control your logistics, order management. But then I, as the provider of, and I don't know, uh, what is the technical term, Phil, you might be able to help me here. So the company that is actually doing the franchisee, they are called franchisor, right? Yes.
3: Uh,
2: right. Franchisor so fran-
3: franchisee, that's correct.
2: Right. So franchisor is probably going to be controlling your uh, payment and pricing and promotions, and then franchisee is actually going to be responsible for your, uh, you know, your franchise level experience, the store level experience. So they have a little control there, but I don't know if they have the fluidness where, let's say, Robert actually mentioned one example where let's say if you want to customize that that experience for that specific store, do you have tool in your toolbox where you can do that? Some businesses will probably need that. So I don't know if the platform is going to allow that. So you might need to do a little research there. Okay, so here they are saying on the VTEX platform, you have the option to register physical stores, okay? Physical stores and physical stores is a business model that they are able to support when you are going to be doing picking up in the physical store. So the way the experience is going to work, Phil, is let's say if you are going to your e-commerce and on the e-commerce, you can choose whether you want to deliver at your home or do you want it to be shipped to a particular physical store where you can choose. OK, these 20 stores are provided for me. I am going to choose number one or number two, depending upon whichever is convenient for me. Now that is the pre-baked experience, guys. That's a big deal okay so this is all built up that's that's a big deal. here they are saying the physical source the franchisees the representatives of your network as franchise account this is one way to expand your unified commerce and they have redefined the whole unified commerce concept and in my mind this is powerful guys they have really built the unified commerce the way commerce is supposed to be done then they are saying the franchise account is associated with a made account in the case of a brand That has several physical stores, franchisees, or representatives. Each of them can have a franchise account linked to the brand's main account. This allows them to deliver the products sold by the brand's e commerce. Okay, so this is again very sort of the e commerce omni channel experience where brand is actually sending you the leads uh, as the franchisee. So those leads are going to come from there. So I think you can create very mixed experience depending upon your business model but overall the platform is extremely powerful here they are saying franchise account inherits the catalog from the main account but it has its own logistics and performs its its own order management so that the physical store can manage the order and deliver the products a franchise account does not have its own website so that's the difference between your franchise versus the the brand account but again, these are the concepts that they are providing. It's not that you have to use all of the concepts that they are recommending. You can implement the platform the way you want. Even though they are calling franchise, you can probably implement it differently if you if you like. So, but overall, I I, I like it a lot. I'll I'll take some comments if you guys have anything on this one.
3: Well, it confirms it confirms what Robert said earlier that the catalog yeah. is the main account, and that is what it is for the franchise uh ease, but it is they do have promotions as a shared function on that right lower graph. So maybe that's where some of the customization to that local needs of that store are occurring, you know, is, is how they're presenting promotions kind of jointly for the franchise e account itself.
0: So this could actually be standard business practice in, in Latin America. I I do not know. I, I don't have that experience. Um you know maybe that's a way the brands control With the countries, you know, having so many different outlets, it's a way of ensuring that they're protecting the brand image.
2: All right, guys. So some more commentary on this business model, but they have really deep functionality for this business model. So here they are saying each franchise account automatically operates as a white label seller of the main account. So they have a little bit of, uh, you know, overlap there, how the white label Seller is going to work versus a franchise, so again, they have very, very, very deep functionality there. So they are saying this means that when the consumer adds a product to the cart and uh, simulates the shopping cost in the account store, the system automatically selects the white label seller that has the that product in store and displays the delivery methods of the seller that offers the best conditions. You know, that's
0: that's a unique twist that I and we've talked about it, but you know, putting it in this term. I've never really thought about it. So making the seller the white label versus the brand the white label. So the seller, in essence, becomes inconsequential. It's just the person facilitating the transaction for the brand.
2: Yeah, completely agree. And in, in my experience, I think I have seen requests for both of them. So, yeah, it's definitely very complex and interesting as well.
3: And, and it's And it is completely behind the scenes to the buyer. Exactly. You know, so that's, that's happening that there is a white label that that's where it's shipping from, that that's how they're doing the fulfillment is, 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 is you, all you know is here's my, here's my freight charge and how do I want to, how do I want the freight to be? It's, not telling you, it's making that choice for you. It's really interesting, but powerful in your channel, exactly. giving you a lot, lot of control over your channel on what does it take to be a white label seller, for example.
2: Yeah, guys. So we have some more concepts here, and and you know, typically they are mentioned only in the media, but I have personally not seen the implementation of these concepts. But it seems like they have the pre baked functionality for that. For example, let's say if you talk about endless aisle. Endless aisle is a very powerful concept from the from the retail experience perspective so they probably have the functionality for that they are saying consumer buys in a channel a physical store for example and receives from the stock of another store or the main distribution center now guys if you want to implement that then obviously you have to keep a lot of your warehouse functionality inside your e-commerce so this is where we are going to get into religious debates of okay who x what but again if your consumer experience is actually driving these processes, then e-commerce wins this battle. So, <laughs> so Phil, uh, you know, we have had a lot of interesting arguments, you know, who does what. But again, if you are implementing all of these things, e-commerce is becoming really complex. And, and this is where my fear is that a lot of functionality that traditionally resided, let's say, inside ERP, I think it's going to move uh to e-commerce.
3: You you're exactly right. I mean the the CMS capability is amazing that I mean they're managing a lot of transactional and, and business more than more than it was. It's uh the ERP guys better pick up their game. Seriously. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this, this endless aisle and the mixed cart, you know, the mixed cart has proven, there's been a number of studies proven that when a customer is allowed to buy more things in one spot as opposed to bouncing around, they actually end up buying more as opposed to just walking away and going someplace else where they can get it all. And so I'm just curious about the processes they put in place, the, the structures to, to make sure that it's seamless
2: it's not going to be fun, guys. I mean, implementing inventory is never never easy, okay? So, yes, it looks great on paper. And obviously, your inventory is not con- going to be controlled only by the e-commerce platform. So, obviously, I would like to look at the implementation in terms of how they are doing. But the way I am sensing this is, you know, at least your B2C channels are probably going to be controlling their inventory inside the e-commerce platform. For B2B, you are probably still going to go to your your ERP, which is probably the right thing to do, but again, as the experience is going to change and as these business models evolve, again, a lot of this functionality is probably going to uh, reside inside e-commerce.
3: Well, and and there's nothing here that says the pick ticket doesn't go right to the floor. You know, right? I mean, they got everything. They got it. it's price, They know where it's going. They, it's it's paid for. You know, a lot of the things that you would put an ERP in front of your in 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 front of your wave onto your warehouse to ship is already taken care of
2: yeah and if you have the third party who are fulfilling your orders then it's a different case but you know even if you are let's say you you have your inventory positioned as part of your e-commerce platform that does not stop you in fulfilling inside your ERP you can technically implement that in my mind okay but again that synchronization is always difficult it's not as easy as when you are going to have the inventory at two places, okay, then you have to do some sort of synchronization. And that is very rarely real time, even if you are going to be implementing that real time. So it's extremely hard to pull it off. Yes. So here they are saying physical stores as pickup points. So a pickup point is a physical location where customers can pick up their orders instead of having them delivered to their homes. If you can implement this, this is a pure gold, guys. Okay, this is where the money is, to be honest. Okay, if any business can implement this, Oh my goodness! This is this is real gold.
0: Now, from a process, you know, going back to what I was saying before, from a process standpoint, I think what this is really identifying is um, the franchisees are most likely not going to be small mom and pops because they need to make sure that the inventory is. Um, accurately tracked. So when a customer does actually purchase it, they are actually going to a location that they know is going to have it. So you know they can keep their logistics um, running as they should.
2: Exactly. So some more comments, guys, on the pricing. The pricing is very complex the way it is managed. And that's what I would guess for a platform like this, which is going to have enterprise-grade capabilities. I really like the way the, the view of the pricing is. But again, we are going to get into the debate of, okay, who controls pricing, e-commerce or ERP? You know, again, when we look at B2C versus B2B divide, my assumption is going to be B2C experience is probably going to reside inside e-commerce. That's why they are controlling all of this here. But I don't know how you are going to be syncing the pricing. Again, that syncing is very difficult in general if you are trying to do this uh, from ERP and trying to manage inside e-commerce. Okay, this is the. these are their APIs. Very comprehensive, very detailed. I absolutely love it, okay? So this is really done from very headless mindset that their apis are really robust overall in terms of what you might be able to do it's not an afterthought that you are going to notice let's say if you look at some of the erp systems, oh my goodness their apis are just horrible uh to use because they seem like as if you are literally exposing uh your legacy program you know over your apis here it's very structured the way they, they it is done so i definitely like it and this is where I found out that they have far deeper capability in terms of the way their catalog is done, the way their marketplace is done. So their data model is extremely rich in supporting these business models. And that's why they have these enterprise capabilities now here is the fun part okay so we are going to review the some of the comments from users and so far our assumption is going to be oh my goodness you are probably blown away overall from the platform perspective and your hope is going to be that okay if walmart is implementing e-commerce maybe vtex is going to be the right fit. but here's the trick with e-commerce platforms okay It's always going to be the transactions that is going to be a differentiating factor whether a platform is going to work or not. When you get the 6,000 simultaneous connections, okay, that's how the e-commerce platforms differentiate. That's where you you are going to find real challenges. And I think Robert is going to have probably a lot of comments there, but in this particular case, the platform is not scalable enough. We have seen commentary from users that after 6,000 simultaneous connections, you know, the platform struggles. But in the case of, let's say, Striker, now Striker was like, okay, give me billions of transactions. I'll be able to handle it, right? So that's the differentiation. Even though you don't have as much functionality, overall, from the feature side perspective, from the performance perspective, it's awesome. But this platform, even though they have the enterprise-grade features from the functional perspective, technically, I don't think they are going to scale. At least that's how users are perceiving. So here I have the commentary. And by the way, this is in 2021. So this is a very recent comment. Most of the official documentation and forms are in Portuguese and that's what we experience as well because most of the users are from that region making specific problems, a hassle of translating. Then I have one comment from 2018. Our e-commerce platform was hosted on Oracle Cloud Commerce. So they are on Oracle Cloud. They are not on the other e-commerce platform. Would crash at 6,000 simultaneous users, okay? Which is a very low number for an enterprise in my mind. If you are looking at pure B two C, it's not going to work. And
0: yeah, that that's really surprising that Oracle Cloud Commerce would crash at six thousand concurrent users because you take each user and you think about the number of threads that each transaction they're doing is is creating. That's that's going to be you know a lot of communication back and forth, but standard and it it should have you know if it was cloud it should have been you know auto adjusting and. For them not to have that even four years ago, that's just unacceptable.
2: Yeah, so I think people underestimate how much effort you need to put in, even in case of cloud to define your architecture. You know, it's not that, OK, I deploy some random code and that's going to (laughs) scale, you know, indefinitely. That's not how cloud works. Uh, (laughs) The only difference between cloud and on-prem is you can rent as opposed to owning. OK, so you still have to manage your resources in the world of cloud. You still have to do the same programming heavy lift that you used to do in the traditional on-prem. It's just that you don't have to worry about VM licensing, you know, the whole IT processes. Uh, you know, you can easily rent. OK, I'm looking for this block. OK, let me put it this one and see how this works.
0: Well, you can also localize when, when you're in cloud as opposed to. Exactly. The physical architecture It's a lot easier. So, yeah. you know, you you can. um Increase your response time.
2: Yeah. Phil, any comment there? Um, no, not on that one? No? Okay. So here, they are saying this is in 2019, and they are saying in some cases the platform and its servers can become slow with load times. Now, you know, overall, uh, I have seen a lot of comments in their reviews which suggest that it's not going to be as enterprise as your striker. A striker, you are like, okay, I'm blown away based on the amount of workload that this platform can handle that's how most users were saying you know when you look at the transactional depth when you look at the number of transactions that it was handling so that is the enterprise great platform this one is great it it seems like it's doing better than your oracle (laughs) compass but uh you know we do have some commentary where things are going to be uh, becoming slow i don't know if this is really their configuration or they have a real challenge uh, in a scaling at the enterprise workflow.
0: Yeah, with this one in particular, I'd like to break that one down more because when you have a business user saying um, becomes slow with load times, you really have to understand where is that, that delay coming from? Is that delay coming from the business user's back end? Is it coming from the, the consumer's front end? Is it coming from um, the telecommunications port, say their phone? So from from the cell tower to the phone, you know, wh- where is the slowdown? Um, and so when you're actually doing, you know, multi-screen and multi-user testing, the best practice is you actually have users in multiple locations to actually test the response time and load times to s- actually see where the issues are. And so this this could be anything
2: yeah but uh, you know based on the users are suggesting i mean uh, i would definitely recommend doing a little bit of research or maybe doing the load testing of the software that you are trying to buy before you implement because once you actually put it to the light test then you will come to know okay whether it can handle it or not and then i don't know what you are going to do after going through uh, 12 months of implementation right well <laughs> correct and and also
3: Push your sales team to get you some good references that you can talk to. And when they drag their feet and they say they've got a bunch, but they just don't quite get to it, keep harping on them. Get your references talked to. Mm -hmm. Like any of these, if there's someone similar to you, they'll tell you. You get that reference on the phone and the sales person gets off the phone. You can have a real conversation and find out if performance is an issue or not.
2: Yeah, and guys, I would make one more comment there. You know, get really, really good solution architect on your side. The reason for that is even though these screens look pretty easy that anybody can build these websites, but IT systems were never easy. Okay, so get a solution architect who really understands how to sort of you know scale the platforms and how to implement these architecture. Otherwise, it's going to be really hard. Right, IT is not ever easy
3: because you guys are too darn smart. You keep coming up with complicated solutions to stuff, right? Isn't that the problem? <laughs> we got to keep employed, man. That's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> and then you charge. It's a, you know, it's a great racket, right? And then I then I got as a business owner, I got to hire you to help me. It's so well, okay, really get what you pay for. You guys are super smart. I just want to say you're very intelligent. This was. A good one these their product and their strategy to market make sense to me, and I do think that the the it's a it's a little weird that they haven't gotten farther on getting the language cleaned up. they've opened yeah. an office in singapore they're they're in London they're all over the place. you would think they would have some of these you know either capacity and performance or language being you know, universal or available in the local language. That that one's weird to me that that's not cleaned up yet.
2: Yeah, and guys, I mean, if you have the localized need, you should have two different documentation. For Portuguese, you should have a separate documentation because you are probably going to have users that are going to require that. They might not have as much English background and they might not like it. So have three different versions, one for Spanish, one for English, one for Portuguese. Don't take that.
0: we, We all know that every Technology company out there, the last thing they touch is the documentation. Exactly,
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: But they're selling to some big names, yeah. Albeit, albeit
3: the you know the the uh, Latin America ver- you know divisions of those big names, but even so, big names with a lot of volume. And I really do that that franchise structure, the way they really have their business model developed on that the way they can allow the system to choose the best avenue to get the product to where it needs to go and putting that functionality on the commerce system that's the cms capability that that like you said that was really deep sam that's all pretty pretty impressive stuff
2: so i am going to have a question for you robert and this is probably going to be a slightly more technical question so let's say if you were designing this platform and i think the challenge that they are running into in this whole portuguese debate is the fields that they have are actually in portuguese and those are going to be very hard to localize so i don't know how other companies are handling that because it's not the documentation that is the problem documentation is probably going to be auto-generated i don't know you know documentation you can localize easily but okay when you are going to have those individual field names of your database okay what do you choose do you choose portuguese or do you choose english if your developers are going to be from Brazil, they are probably going to be preferring Portuguese. But yep. again, it's not going to be as comfortable for English-speaking countries. So I don't know if there are any programming languages that can localize your database fields. So I don't know how to solve that problem, to be honest.
0: You know, most of the development that I've seen, even with, you know, on a global basis, has been in English. And... You know, because it's a universal language. If you think about exactly. um, pilots, they're required to speak English. Yeah. And so when you look at development, most of it is is in English. You know, you've got a few holdouts that don't. So like Russian, the French, they're, they're very adamant about keeping their language. And so for them to do Portuguese, I'm a little confused. I mean, they, they probably have a translation table that was probably developed by a third party to, <laughs> to help developers move a little bit faster. Or maybe it's just their way of... Uh, Helping to spread the understanding of Portuguese. It's a beautiful language. I, you yeah. know, I just have never had the opportunity to to learn it or speak it.
3: Well, and to your point too, Sam. The you know, France, for example, there's 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 laws in France that you have to have your uh, documentation, invoicing, packing slips, any contractual type of document has to be in French if you're going to sell into France. That's 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 it's it's an, it's a legal standard that you have to meet. But I mean, the the enterprise ERP systems have have good internal language translation on the field level. You know, so if you if you're standing up Oracle or SAP or something like that, probably Microsoft know how positive that. If you're standing that up in US and you also have it in, you know, Spain or Germany or whatever, that, that user will turn it on and it'll be in German and the fields will be in German. The data doesn't translate, but the actual the the structure of of what you what the user is looking at translates. So there's gotta be capability out there if they're doing it in ERP,
2: right, Sam? So it's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a uh, sort of the preference and you have to sort of pick your better, I guess there, right? So even if you look at as in your age, sometimes you are going to have references of euro, you are not going to have references of dollars, because that's their target customer base. So you have to decide, okay, which is your target customer. So here, let's say if you are developing a solution for France, and you are targeting inside France, don't position it as North American solution because it's not really designed for that. So if you are designing for your North American audience, you have to have things in English and dollars that people understand. So this is where things get really tricky when you are developing a solution. You have to define your target market. You can't really have a globalized e-commerce solution or the ERP solution. It's very hard to pull that off.
0: Yep. agreed. You know, to your point, Phil. So absolutely, France, you know, and uh, the province of Quebec, they also require French. Yeah. in Switzerland, because they actually speak, you know, four languages, yeah, um, When we did an implementation in SUG and we implemented it in English because it was, it was a global treasury unit.
2: All right, guys. So we are close to our time. Any other short comments, guys? Exciting platform, this one. Very cool. All right, guys. So that's a wrap. And uh, again, it's a very capable platform. There's no question about that overall in the franchise model perspective. So if you're uh, looking to expand either in Latin America or you are in Latin America, I think this is going to be a really powerful platform, especially if you like React and the headless. So make sure you are paying attention to that. On that note, if you join for the first time, this was part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one vendor or the solution that we review independently. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another vendor or the solution. On that note, thanks, everyone, for your time and insights tonight. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Phil Kerper, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's dot scom If you want to learn more about Robert Brown, head over to RGB ecommerce.com. It's R-G-B-E-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jay Schneider, who shares his insights into how B2B digital commerce processes differ from B2C. Also, the interview with Noemi Yes, who shares her insight into how the water industry works and how its sales cycle differs from other industries. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS
1: Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at WBS.rocks. We'll see you next time.